Hey, everybody. Dave Hodges here, host of The Common Sense Show. Glad we could be with you. We are the show that is freeing America one enslaved mind at a time, and we need you to help us increase our reach exponentially. Please share this, and if you're listening to us on YouTube, please give us a thumbs up and also subscribe. Uh, if you're listening to us on our audio communications networks, um, please, again, share this far and wide. This is an important report. We have Paul Martin on the line. We're going to get to Paul in just a minute, and we're going to do a parallel story to what we did a couple of years ago. I'll cover that in just a minute, but first I need to let you know we're brought to you by preparewithdave.com. You go, what's that? That's something that's going to save your life. You need food, water, guns, gold, ammo, medicine, and tools in these trying times. Listen, we are headed for communications breakdown. We are headed for societal breakdown. I've covered this with the CJNG gang that's permeating in rural areas in America. We've talked about the Tet Offensive that's coming, a single-day act of multiple terrorist acts. It's all coming. And listen, when that happens, the just-in-time deliveries stop. Well, this particular food that we represent, MPS, restaurant quality, no glyphosates, no GMOs, 25-year shelf life, and right now there's a 47% sale. Well, can't get any better than that. For two-week supplies. Now, people say, can you order more than one? Answer, yes. This is for bug out. This is for emergency add-on. This is absolutely fantastic. And even though it's only a two-week supply, it's still the very same kind of food that comes with our six-month orders. But right now, the sale is on for this. And you can add to your existing supply or get started very inexpensively in food storage. Preparewithdave.com is the way to go. Well, we have Paul Martin on with us. And Paul, let me set the stage here, my friend, for what happened a couple of years ago, because I see this as a parallel activity. Two years ago, Paul and I were given photos of UN vehicles in uh, southern Wyoming near Rollins, they were bolted down. They had antenna that were EMP proof. And we published those photos widely on the net. I went to my experts like Vance Davis, former NSA, other such people. And I said, please tell me what we're looking at here. And the consensus was EMP uh, proof communications equipment. And it, it belongs to the United Nations, of course. And uh, clearly the implication was we're going to have a communications breakdown at some point in time. And United Nations vehicles already embedded in the United States were going to be able to survive this calamity. And we reported on this widely. And then we even found some of these antenna in places like Aurora, Colorado. Uh, and, and people started sending me pictures of this all across the country where these were being embedded. Well, we have a parallel story, a first cousin story here today on this particular event with Paul Martin. Paul, I'm glad you could join us. So let's get down to, to what you've learned. But first of all, before you talk about your revelation, I want you to talk about why this is important relative to the area you live in and the type of demographics you have with regard to the people that live there. Well, from the Wyoming border to the New Mexico border, uh, Colorado has the highest population of special ops guys, Green Berets, Special Forces, Navy SEALs, uh, former snipers. We and They all carry exactly the same gear, the same handguns, the same rifles, the magazines. They carry their gear with them constantly. And uh, I saw one 
last night. I don't see him very uh, often, uh, but uh, I was telling him about the DHS revelation that we double confirmed with my uh, eyes and ears to San Diego with his DHS guy that these field operatives are carrying special phones. And I talked to John Moore about it, and he, he knew exactly what they were. Yeah, let's tell the audience, before you go on, let's tell the audience who John Moore is, why he matters. Well, John Moore is a former Special Forces Vietnam, former uh, Special Forces Intelligence. He was the uh, head uh, homicide uh, detective for the AG in Missouri for over 30 years. He's very well respected. Okay. All right. So let's and get. So, anyway, with these, uh, I was talking to this guy last night and I was asking if he knew about it. He just kind of grinned. He said, We got him. And I said, What? He said, We've got him. And I was talking about these former military guys here in Colorado. He said, Yeah, there's about 20 of them within a 50 mile radius of where we're sitting right now. So, communications devices designed to withstand a communications breakdown. Is that right? Yeah, they, these, these are issued as components that the special radio with its own Faraday cage to carry in vehicles. Okay, so the Faraday cage basically makes the uh, device immune to attack from an EMP. Right, that. Okay. Why would these guys want to communicate with each other? Do they have a loose network of defense for the region? Um, yeah, they're, they're very well organized. Um, Paul, you're cutting out on me. Okay, it looks like we've lost Paul. I'm going to go ahead and reestablish the communication. Um, We'll try this again, ladies and gentlemen. I apologize for the difficulty. I'm not surprised we got disconnected, if you know what I mean. Um, I'm back. All right, we'll try this again. Okay, so you were talking about that these guys are uh, well organized. I'll tell you what this reminds me of. Do you remember in Jade Helm 16 when they took out ads uh, and they wanted uh, special forces to practice against people who are disaffected military people now working as guerrilla chieftains and they were wanted people to play that role uh, and pay them $18 an hour. Um, do you think that these guys that you're talking about in Colorado, these ex uh, special forces and intelligence people, do you think that's who they were practicing against? Yes. Yeah, I do too. I, I, you know, I didn't connect it at the time. I thought it would just be general desertion across the board. And these people weren't on board with the UN takeover or so forth. Okay. So, um, 20 of them within 50 miles. Um, do they have any kind of defensive capabilities, Paul? I mean, is there special weaponry that they can bring to bear against an invasion? Oh, definitely. Well, let's talk about that. Well, I'm, I'm not, they're not real specific on what they care, what they possess, but I do know that they all carry exactly the same pistols. They all carry Glock 17s, same magazines, same battle rifles. And, uh, and I would guarantee, 
dare to guess that uh, there's enough 338 Laputas from where I'm sitting to North Denver to take over a small Central American country. <laughs> there's about 40 Lapua presses, you know, within 45 minutes of here. So there's a, and I, I'm sure these guys possess, as we'll say, everything that they need. Okay, so let me ask you this question then. Um, the average person listening will not know what a Lapua is. Can you describe for them what that is? It's a, it's a very long-range rifle. Most of these guys have got night force. They've got 20, you know, 24, 2500 um, scopes sitting on top of them. Uh, I've been out with a couple of them. Um, out in the Pawnee grassland, they've got their own shooter shooting area that they use out there. And I've been out there twice with a couple of them. Do they ever do maneuvers and drills? Uh, I would assume they do. Uh, I, I know that they shoot a lot together. And, uh, uh, so yeah, I've got a, uh, I've got a 260, that was custom built by a Navy SEAL friend of mine, and it's got a knife sitting on top of it. And uh, uh, these guys don't shoot any shorter than a half a mile, and most of them are deadly at a mile. That 260 Remington I've got, uh, I took a, uh, a lady friend out, and she's not a shooter, but uh, uh, she had a six-inch rock. <laughs> Every shot with this with this rifle, and these guys possess. Yeah, the the three thirty eight Lapua is a pretty good size round, and uh, it can do a lot of damage. There's five there's five fifties within within a mile of where I'm sitting. Okay, what's a five fifty? A fifty cal rifle. Oh, okay, oh, yeah, I, I know what a fifty cal is. Really, um, you know what the sound? Let me back up and say this. Is it safe to say that the gang, the CJNG or the Sinaloas, has not come to your area? Uh, I would assume that uh, due, due to the uh, Democratic government in the, in Denver, um, I know they did bring in a lot of "quote unquote" refugees into the Denver area and uh, started piling in some uh, liberal churches in Denver. I know that for a fact, and there's no telling who was within who was in those groups yeah but in that general area it sounds like uh, these people are, are dominant i mean here's what's ironic to me paul on one hand we know that in a breakdown in washington dc like if washington dc were to be nuked for example that uh colorado is now the capital but what's interesting is embedded in this new world order structure which includes denver international airport norad and the tunnel system are these Basically, we'll call them commandos who are extremely well armed. How many of these people do you think uh, exist in, in your general area? Um, I, you know, I would say probably about a thousand. There's twenty. They're, they're twenty-five thousand strong in this state. My goodness, that would make Colorado a tough nut to occupy, wouldn't it? So let's talk about the weapons capability for a second for a Lapua. Uh, is this armor piercing? Oh yeah, these guys, they, they don't buy ammo. They they do all their own reloading right down to the last grain of powder. Yeah, these guys are, uh, 
yeah, 338, you know, it, it's got some punch. And armor piercing, it's really got some punch. All right, so if, if a helicopter was to be brought in, let's say, to bring to bear against these guys, would they have the ability to shoot it down? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know the cartels do. I don't know if you know this yep. or not. I came across this story. Um, 2015, the CJNG gang that's now rivaling the Sinaloa's, they killed uh, 15 Mexican police officers and brought down an accompanying helicopter. So um, they have that capability. That's interesting. Let me ask you this question. I want to get into philosophical underpinnings of this group. This group that we're talking about here, Paul, um, it, it almost sounds like they're expecting to be invaded and they're practicing against it. So let's talk about, is that an accurate perception? And who do they expect to be doing the invading? Uh, you know, we haven't had that discussion. Um, all these guys are, a, bunch of, a lot of them are multiple tour combat vets. Uh, they have people that are still active that still talk to them. These guys only talk to each other. You know, they talk to me, but... Um, uh, their 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 communications and the people they communicate with that are still active is is ongoing. Okay, most of the time. so it but, sounds like these guys are working on a need to know basis, correct? Yeah. Okay. So having said that, and having said they're not taking out billboards saying "Don't come here, we'll blow you away with our lapuas." Let's talk about what you observe. You're an ex-military guy yourself. Okay, you know people in Intel, special ops. You know how the game is played, Paul. What are they worried about? Well, I, I, at, the, at the top of it, they know how many they know how many foreign troops are in Colorado, and we've done countless yeah. hours on talking on that. But this, the guy that I talked last night, is the one that uh, stopped by the store after my friend had seen the. Remember the the four months. Muslims over in the, at the Walmart between Fort Collins and Loveland, and two of them had shaved heads, two didn't, all four had beards, but they had barcodes right. on the uh, left side of their neck, and it, the guy that I talked to last night, he came by the store, and I was telling him the story, and uh, he said, well, you know those are, don't you? I said, no, that's why I'm asking you. He said, those are former Turkish prisoners that had been psychologically evaluated to um, operate in a military setting, but they're all brutal murderers, mass murderers. But uh, he said, "Yeah, these guys are bad dudes." And uh, like I said, this is the same guy that, that told me that. And um, wow, yeah, they they know who's here. Let, let's you know, for people, we've gained a whole new audience. I mean, we we've increased our reach fourfold uh, in the last several months. That means we have a lot of new uh, viewers and listeners. So let's go ahead. Let's review some of the foreign troops that are, say, within a 100-mile radius of where you're at. Well, we've got Russian troops here. Uh, we've got Spetsnaz here. Uh, you'll know you'll know a Spetsnaz. Uh, here's a story. I had a friend that was up at Estes Park. They were out, you know, just join themselves, stop by Subway to get something to eat. And uh, these four very well-built young men were in line, and they were all talking Russian. And they got up to order their sandwich, 
and they went into perfect Nebraska, Nebraska English. And uh, I talked to John Moore when this revelation first came out a few years ago, and I asked John, I said, how do you go from a strong Slavic language to perfect Johnny Carson, Nebraska English? He said, I don't know, but I'll find out. He contacted a, a language professor at the University of Missouri, and this guy said, John, the only way you can do this, you have to, you have to start them no later than five years old. So these guys have been in training their whole lives. I would agree with that to a point. I would say eight years old. I'll tell you why. What I know about linguistics, you know, from my background in psychology, is that if you don't learn to speak a language by the time you're eight, you'll always have an accent. Um, so if they say five, okay, five, eight, I get what they're saying. So these guys are born and bred to be uh, commandos, basically. Yeah, handpicked. Handpicked. Yeah, it was, what, three Two years ago, I've got a friend, uh, the, the wife works at uh, Ted's place, it's at the bottom of the Clear Canyon, and uh, she called her husband up and said, you need to get over here. So he got over there and there were three um, military-style style vehicles, and these guys were Nepalese Gurkhas, and they actually had the crossed Gurkha swords on the doors, and they were in uniform, and <laughs> they were fueling up, and some of them were in the store getting some deep. So he walked up to one guy and said, well, what are you guys? And he goes, he said, English up great, but it, you know, it was good enough. And he said, we're mercenaries. So they just admitted it. And uh, they shoot out at my range where I shoot. Uh, I've got a good friend that's a former military armor, and he's got his own group. And uh, they were out heading to the range. And so he, he went back out to the vehicle and got in it. And he said, <laughs> he called me and said, there's a Russian shooting here at the range. I'll call you back. And uh, so he, uh, after they were shooting, he called me back. And they, they these guys weren't Spetsnaz. A lot of the times you see Russian troops around here, uh, they're all in civilian clothes. But there'll be three or four younger ones, and they'll have an older handler. And that's the same in this case. And uh, he said, he told me, he said, man, I've never seen anybody shoot a pistol like this. And so after they cleared the line and, took their earphones off and he said, man, you guys shoot really good. He goes, are you guys military? And uh, the handler goes, no, we're mechanical engineers. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one of them had a rifle case. Well, I said, this guy's in armor. And this guy pulls this thing out and he said, man, I've never seen anything like it. And it had a red star on the, on the lower receiver. And, uh, and this, you know, this this guy was, you know, punching dime hole, uh, dime sides in in his target at three hundred with this thing. And they asked him, you know, would you like to shoot this? And he goes, sure, I'd love to. So he said, this thing was it was definitely a nail driver. But he said, I've never seen ammo like that, and I've never seen a rifle like that. So interesting. Well, I know, I know about the. Yeah, Paul, I know about the Gurkhas because I think when we covered that event, what I learned from uh, you and, and people that I consulted after the fact was that the Gurkhas are brought in to deal with uh, guerrilla warfare. In other words, they're anti-guerrilla troops, which I find interesting because if Colorado were to be invaded, the group that you've described, the thousand or so men who have these Lapuas and so forth, 
they would probably be fighting something similar to a guerrilla warfare. And it looks like the Gurkhas are there to counter them. Would you agree with that? Yes. Okay. Um, how many Gurkhas are, are in uh, Northern Colorado? Do you know? That's the only time that we really spotted them. There was um, there were three vehicles and there were, there were four Gurkhas per vehicle. Okay, so that was probably a tactical team. Without a doubt. Yeah, I think a tactical team, no question. Yeah, are do are are these uh, uh, ex special ops forces? Are they um, are they aware of the Gurkhas in their area? Yeah, they they got a. I'm sure they put a bullseye on the Gurkhas' back. So I I would because I think that would be their main threat initially. Um, and then you got the Spetsnaz. Um, you know what? John Moore told me this. Speaking of John Moore, ex Green Beret, he told me that uh, these Russian insurgents that we have in our country, uh, the Spetsnaz, he thinks their main job is to take down our power grids. Yeah, I was I was talking to him. He was telling me. He said, "Yeah, some of these guys could take down Denver." Yeah, I've I've heard the same thing. I've got a guy that for when he retired, uh, he's an ex basketball coach, and he worked in a security firm that would oversee these power grid uh, situations here in in Arizona. And um, I I asked him, uh, and he said, "What their briefings told them, he said they weren't allowed to carry guns, but every one of them carried a gun." Because after this briefing they had, they said, yeah, a team of eight Spetsnaz could take down a city the size of Phoenix by taking the grid down. He said, so, you know, we started arming ourselves. And he, this guy was also ex-military. And uh, he said, Dave, this threat is real. He said, my company that provides this security, he said, they take this extremely seriously about the Spetsnaz threat. Um, in fact, they actually do two levels. A lot of times in the old days when they would do grid security, they would just have, you know, a, a guy in a car in a radio and that would be it. Um, now he says they have two cars with one group providing outer perimeter security and the inner perimeter is guarding the, the grid. And he said, that's how concerned they are about this. So I, I have heard this before from another venue. Okay. So besides the Gurkhas, uh, besides the Spetsnaz, and besides these uh, Turkish uh, uh, recruited bad guys, uh, I, mean, I, I hate to ask the question. I mean, how bad can it get? How much? How many more forces like this are there in your area? Uh, I don't know. They've got their they've, they've got some helos somewhere. Uh, where the two eighty seven splits. There's a split, and, and the two eight seven will take you up to Laramie, and then another will take you into a port. And um, uh, I had one guy that that uh, spotted. And they're black. They've got a red star on their tail feathers, and um, they were doing uh, touch and goes at three o'clock in the morning. So they've got their they've got their own helo somewhere. And it was about three years ago. It was summertime. I've got a customer, real nice lady. Her husband's a photographer wildlife photographer and he's got a major thing for moose pictures and uh, he was up near top of cameron pass that takes you over to steamboat springs and it's i've been up there it's a real good area to spot moose and uh he was wandering back through the the back roads and, and ran into some russians and they ran him out he won't even go 
I mean, it's just, you know, he's just a normal, nice guy. He won't even go back up there now. How did he describe that confrontation? Uh, they were just forcefully telling him there was a group of them that he had to leave, and he had to leave now. Really interesting you'd say that. Um, I was uh, contacted by people in uh, Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and they said they had Russians there like crazy, and they were all the same, young, male, well-built, athletic, wouldn't interact with the public. But when you did speak with them, they spoke perfect English, and and they would go to the base of the Smoky Mountains, and their cars would stay parked there for days. This is what the locals were telling me, locals, multiple. One lady, uh, Dr. Susan Hellman, was on my show. Her house backed up to a golf course. And at night, the Russians would come in on helicopters, and she'd see them unload. Uh, and she just would freak out. They'd hide in the house and turn the lights off. They are afraid they were going to be overrun. And she came on my radio show oh, about a dozen years ago and was actually telling this story. But there's one guy in particular that told a really interesting story. And I, I still have uh, contact with the guy. He's afraid to come out in public and talk about this because he said the presence is still there. He said he went up into the uh, places where he used to hunt. And, and Gatlinburg, by the way, is a recreational area at the base of the Smoky Mountains. And he went up into the hills and he he saw these signs that prohibited from going any further. And he said, well, that, this is nonsense. I'm going to do it anyway. I, I hunted here as a kid. So he's continuing along and he's off the beaten path. He, he's chasing some wildlife. So he's about 75 yards, he said, off the road. And then all of a sudden he saw these mechanized vehicles come out of seemingly nowhere. And so he said, this is just not right. And he crouched down and he watched from that distance, uh, vehicle after vehicle with Russians in full winter gear. And it was in the winter and like armored personnel carriers and so forth. No tanks, but armored personnel carriers with Russians. So anyway, he's thinking, I don't think this is the place to be. So he's making his way down the mountain and he runs into a ranger that he knows and the ranger came up and just verbally undressed him up one side and down the other. And he says, man, we're friends. He says, do you want to get killed? He said, if they see you up here watching them, they might take you out. He says, I can't even talk about this. I've signed agreements with DHS. Oh, it's crazy, the, the detail this guy gave. And the thing is, I've maintained communication with this guy. He's as sane as the day is long. Uh, and, and you hear these stories just out of Gatlinburg. They're just incredible. In fact, what's really interesting is it was, um, oh gosh, Sherry Wilcox, who has the website, Sherry Questioning All. She actually photographed, I put the photographs on my website, oh, back in 2012, um, where she was traveling along the highway, not too far from Gatlinburg. And she saw Russian soldiers in DHS vehicles. And, and I, I just love how people laugh and say, oh, they're not here. But, Paul, I, I can think of no other area where this is concentrated more than your area. You seem to have the U.N. there, literally and figuratively. Um, that kind of brings us back to square one. Um, I want to say this, Paul, just for the audience um, um, edification. Paul and I have photos, and we publish them on our sites. Paul's at revolutionradio.org, mine at thecommonsenseshow.com of UN vehicles with EMP-proof antennas. And I want to just stress, folks, it's there. It's in the open. 
Take it to experts if you don't believe me. Find the photos at thecommonsenseshow.com and have them checked out. But, Paul, we've been told the same thing now for two years. They're here. They are here. And do you think I, I would suspect they're there to neutralize this mass accumulation of uh, retired special ops and in, intel? What do you think? Sounds logical. It was about four years ago that the, the same armor that was that found the Russian guy at the range. He, he does a lot of gun work for law enforcement, and uh, a Larimer County deputy had come over uh, to uh, drop off a weapon. And uh, this guy's this guy's uh, area of operations is up Estes Park, over to Allen Park, up up, up in that area. And uh, he just asked him, said, "You see Russians up there?" He goes. Oh, yeah. He said, we don't like them very much. They're not very nice. And uh, so he came up. He came back to pick his weapon up three or four weeks later. And he said, got any more news on them, on those Russian guys you saw? He said, yeah, they're bringing in their women. Everywhere these guys are spotted, I had a guy that spotted them in that um, Parkland Mall, that big, huge mall down in South Denver. And all these people carried big wads of cash, $100 bills, yeah. just rolls of them. I've heard the same thing. Uh, with regard to these uh, guys and bringing in their women, I've heard the same thing. It's like they establish their base of operations for a couple of years, and then they bring in the women. Exactly right. Um, this is scary, scary stuff. This really is. Is there any reason why all these ex-special ops guys live in the same area, Paul? Uh, I think because it's because of the, the, the Rocky Mountains. Uh, can you explain that? Well, the, you know, militarily, the uh, <laughs> the mountains are, you know, the hands of God. And, uh, you know, one of the things I think they're going to do, I think that they will cut off uh, routes that, that let us into the mountains. That, that, that may be a, uh, <clears throat> a battle scene, you might say. Red Dawn. <laughs> this reminds me of in the movie. And in fact, Red Dawn in that particular scene that you're describing, it's exactly what was in the movie. Because that took yeah. place largely in Colorado, in a mountain town. Um, yeah, th this is so deeply disturbing here. It's, it's just beyond belief. Here in Arizona, I'm not aware of a lot of foreign troops. I, I, I have, I, I'm aware that there's been some UN vehicles sighted. But with regard to um, our area here, we're loaded with the cartels. Oh, man, we got cartels like you would not believe. And <clears throat> what you have to wonder is how many of local law enforcement are compromised. So that leads me to my next question about Colorado. Um, with regard to these foreign troops present, is there any position that local law enforcement takes on this? I I'll tell you, in Gatlinburg, their position is hear no evil, see no evil. We won't talk to you about it, but we know it exists. What is the position in Colorado? You know, I don't know. Um, I've got a couple of uh, friends that are former Marines that I can speak to. I may work on. I may work on this a little bit. Yeah, let me tell you what I strongly suspect, and then I'll tell you why I believe it. Colleen, thank you. Um, as you know, Paul, I had a friend in FEMA, and this guy and I were friends for fifteen years. 
And um, I know his family extremely well. He and I worked out together. We did restaurants together. Uh, it was just, we were very, very good friends. And he shows up at my basketball office one night, um, getting off the floor and he and his wife are there waiting for me. And he says, well, I got to tell you, Dave, we're bugging out in two months and you can't talk about it on your show or anything until after we're gone. And he wouldn't tell me exactly where he was going. I kind of figured it, the general area out, but he told me, he says, uh, you know, I'm counter bioterrorism. And he said, uh, I'll, I'll be like the Brown church. I know what we got and they'll kill me to cover it. And he said, other people in the same boat all got together a few years ago and he couldn't talk about it and they planned to bug out. Uh, he said some of the people he knew bugged out to Colorado in the mountains. He bugged out, and I'll just say this generally, to the southeast of the United States. Um, I know others have bugged out to the Ozarks. So uh, to the ladies and gentlemen who are listening here on this broadcast, I know for a fact that special ops and intel are bugging out to those three locations. And I've known about this for, oh gosh, we're going on eight, nine years now. And, and so, Paul, when you talk about this in Colorado, it's not surprising to me uh, whatsoever. But I just find it bizarre that these guys would all accumulate in Colorado. And by the way, you're not the only one who has told me about the proliferation of the special ops, ex-special ops that live in Colorado. As you know, I have a high-ranking retired RSOF officer who gives me very, very good detail, very important info. And he's talked about your area. He says, you know, your buddy Paul Martin up there in northern Colorado, he says, he says, a lot of my boys are up there, people that served under this guy. So I, I know what you're saying here is exactly accurate. Let me tell you what else I've heard they have. Okay. And I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm told that um, they have these underground um, shelters and they can roll out anti-tank guns in a moment. I've also been told they have RPG, surfaced air stingers. Yeah. Do you know about that or not? I don't, but I don't doubt it for a second. Yeah, well, this is what my RSOF guy told me. He, he told me this. He, when you say they could invade a Central American country, uh, you're not far from wrong. He said they have everything but tactical air and, uh, uh, and armor support. And he goes, and they can, they can simulate armor support. By, by some of the light uh, artillery that they have. Yeah. Oh, well, I forgot to uh, I just remember another deal. It's about four years ago, I was heading up to, to Denver to meet somebody for, for uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming, to meet somebody for lunch. And I saw the weirdest vehicle I'd ever seen in my life. It had uh, six wheels on it. And it had these bubbles on it and antennas. And it was a, it was a, uh, uh, a camouflage scheme I'd never seen before. So I uh, knew a guy that knew a lot about, he, he loved building military models and he former military. So I called him up, told him, he said, you know what that is? He said, that is a, a biological nuclear sniffer. He said those bubbles are designed to intercept and find any molecules in the air. And that was heading south towards Denver, so I don't know where it wound up. But you, you know, you know what you guys lack in that area, though, as far as troop infiltration, Chinese. Have you thought about that? Yeah, I, you know, I saw a group 
last year uh, at the mall in Fort Collins. There's about 12 of them, but uh, that's the only ones I've seen. Yeah, I, I like I said, large scale Chinese are in so many places, like in California, for example, Nevada. Uh, the Bundy Ranch was filled with them on the solar energy farm. And I'm talking Clive and Bundy. And that was part of the controversy. A lot of people think it was just BLM and Hillary gra grabbing her uranium for Uranium One that set off the Clive and Bundy standoff. Uh, that was part of it. But also, Cliven didn't want that uh, solar energy farm from the Chinese there. And that's that was run at the time by a company called Sinta, which is a Chinese military front group. Uh, they've changed their name like four times since then. And Paul, you, I'm sure you remember me writing about this. Those solar energy farms are located near air bases manned by Chinese soldiers. And we suspect they have localized EMP weapons. And they try to take down planes on land, on takeoff and landing, if they were going to strike a force crossing the border. And they exist at Davis-Monthan Air Force Base, south of Tucson, uh, Luke Air Force Base, south of Phoenix, and Nellis, uh, where the Bundy, uh, Clive and Bundy Ranch is, Nellis Air Force Base. So um, th that's pretty bizarre as well, too. But I find it interesting the Chinese are not in your area. Um, and, I, and I'll tell you why I think it is. They don't want to tangle with the group that's there. And that's why the Gurkhas are there. The Gurkhas are there to fight against them specifically. You know, let me ask you this other question here, and then I know you got to go, but let me ask you this question. Do you think that the Gurkhas have an assassination plan for key people uh, connected to this, uh, shall we call it an American paramilitary group of ex-special uh, ops? Uh, are they worried about that at all? Have you heard any discussion of that? No, I haven't. Uh that's that's more in the menu of the uh, of the spetsnaz. You know, their two top uh, skills are you know assassinations and explosions. Exactly, but I would almost expect before something were to happen that you would have the Gurkhas taking an offensive action against some of these people. Any, I mean, anything's possible at this point, Dave. Boy, is that ever true? That is really, that's just amazing. Well, Paul, let's wrap up the major story we started with today. Would you go ahead and just recap that for our audience? Well, a uh, uh, special ops guy I know I don't see very often, and I was telling him about the uh, uh, DHS issuing special field phones with their own Faraday cages. And he didn't know anything about it. And he just grinned and said, we got them. <laughs> Communications <laughs> breakdown. Okay. Well, that's just adding more to what we already know about this area. You know, it's interesting too, and, and, and I'll say this in parting. In Rollins, Wyoming, you know, near where they had the UN EMP proof equipment that we got sent the photos on, uh, they also the year before had done a major um, chemical biological drill at the uh, fairgrounds there. Did you know about that? Yeah, I, I actually got the flyer for it. I published it on my website. So that area is just a hotbed of that of that stuff. And I'll tell you, you want to talk about a strange community? Rollins is like the king of the world for witches. Did you know that? Yeah, big drug trade there too. Yeah, well, you find one, you find the other. 
Okay, Paul, anything else in conclusion? Um, one other thing we had to talk about is the guy that gave us the pictures of the uh, vehicles in Wyoming uh, has a friend that works at a, uh, a clinic in, in uh, Laramie. And over the past year, uh, she's seen these errors. Uh, they got IDs from home, you know, they got headwear on and stuff like that. And they all claim to be uh, students. And uh, our, our friend that gave us the pictures has got a pretty unique skill set, we'll say. And uh, so he started tracking these guys down. And not one of them that said they were a student in that clinic was a student. So they're kind of stockpiling Arabs up up in the Laramie in the university area. Well, this fact that you're speaking about a multi-ethnic, multinational group in the same area, um, the UN order comes into play. This stinks to high heaven to the UN involvement. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you live in an interesting place. I don't know. I don't know if I, uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm from the Denver area. I grew up in Aurora, Colorado. And um, yeah, I just wonder, you know, did I do the right thing in leaving? And I'd say, well, yeah, just an, uh, we're, Aurora's only an hour to the south of this whole whole mess, hour to hour and a half. And uh, here I am in the middle of Cartel Central. Um, you know, our governor here, th this is really funny. The Phoenix New Times ran this as a story. And you want to talk about just ultimate corruption. I've been covering this guy named Cabeza uh, Devaca who's the governor of a northern state in Mexico. And he's really the guy that's in charge of the CJNG gang that's the new superpower on the block for cartels. And they, they say it's this El Munchen guy, but he's, he's the top-level management cutout head. He's not the head. This governor tries to stay one-degree separation. But what's interesting about this governor, and we see this here in Arizona, uh, this is so interesting to me that, you know, in the Mexican culture, a male would never take uh, names from his female side of the family. The machismo offense would just be unbearable for most Mexican men that I've known. But yet this governor uses the female names on his side to obscure who he is. And I traced who he is. He's an American. And I can tell you what, he's a CIA cutout. There's no question. But what's also interesting is we had the Maricopa County trafficking scandal here where we're supposed to believe that one guy making $70,000 a year was flying in women from the Marshall Islands, paying off the books medical teams, huge sums of money to deliver these babies, and then housing these groups that were going to be trafficked in East Mesa in homes on $70,000 a year salary working by himself. That's like the lone nut assassin theory. Um, now, what's interesting is the governor is providing some cover, in my humble opinion. And as I looked in the, the Phoenix New Times, which is a local publication, they did some research on our governor. And it's just like the Mexico governor that I was talking about. This guy, he's using an assumed name. He changed his name legally to Ducey, Doug Ducey, governor of Arizona. His real name, family name, is Roscoe. And he's from Ohio. And Paul, hang on to your hat on this one. Roscoe, huge organized crime family in Ohio. And when the when Ducey slash Roscoe came to Arizona, his first employer was the Hensley family. Hang on to this, Paul. You're going to love this story. 
Hensley family organized crime back to the 30s with bootlegging. They were doing bootlegging along with Joe Kennedy. And John McCain, my favorite politician, actually married into the family, married Cindy Hensley. And so John McCain married into organized crime. They funded his senatorial run. He was a one-term congressman at the time. They funded his senatorial run. And, and and now this guy comes here from Ohio, changes his name from organized crime to a different name, uh, is set up in a business, I think Stone uh, Cone Creamery, some ice cream place. Okay, we'll just call that the ice cream place. And he comes in, but his first employer was the Hansley family. I mean, Paul, could you sit down at a computer and make this stuff up on your own? I couldn't. And I went and, re I went and researched this damn stuff. Uh, at, that the New Times did. They really documented it well in the article. And I thought, okay, this just can't be true. This just landed in my lap and it's just too easy. I, I think this has got to be a stupid setup. I went and researched it. It's all true. Every bit of it's true. And th this is just how criminal this country is right now. Um, I mean, we got uh, governors of states acting like Mexican governors who are actually Americans working for the CIA. This is nuts. By the way, we got a congressman here, not a congressman, a state senator, um, Farnsworth. He, he stood up in the Arizona legislature and said, we have 555 missing kids that are being sex trafficked. And I'm thinking someone should, should have sent him the memo that there were two state senators, one in Arkansas and one in Oklahoma that were murdered this summer for making the same claims. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and then we go back to the tie-in with this Maricopa County trafficking scandal that, by the way, has just disappeared. And you want to hear how bad the media coverage was with this, Paul? Um, we never were told. The news media had a frenzy on it for two days. It was like the biggest story on the nightly news. But they never said... Okay, how they learned about this guy's activities, who turned him in, how they discover it. Okay, and then as quick as this was reported on, they flipped the switch, and this guy still has not been prosecuted. I think he must be related to Epstein. I will tell you this: I think his his activities are Epstein related. There's no doubt in my mind this guy was part of the Epstein empire, but um, this this guy has not been prosecuted. Can you believe that? I just I, I have to just pinch myself just to fully realize the implications here of the stark criminality. I mean, here we have foreign troops in Colorado and people listening to this for the first time have never followed us, ever heard you and I do a podcast, uh, never have seen the documentation that we both put on our respective websites, including photos, firsthand testimonies. Um, they, they think, man, those two guys, they need to take a chill pill and lay down and take off that tinfoil hat. Uh, but the thing is, Paul, this is all true. It, it, if I would have heard this myself when I was first getting active in this business, I would have thought this was crazy. I wouldn't have believed it, except it's true. It's true. I, pu I, I published pictures of the Gurkhas when they were here. They're on my website. Sorry. I, 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 I didn't even know what the Gurkhas were. I couldn't have sat down and made this up. I had no idea what a Gurkha was. 
I'd have said, is that what you do to a baby after you give it formula? <laughs> you do the Gurkha? I, I had no idea. So absolutely insane. Well, Paul, I want to thank you for coming on. The mystery in Colorado continues to deepen. This has been the um, best expose we've done on these ex-special ops because I feel like I've got a good handle on understanding them now. Before, I vaguely knew of their existence, but I didn't really fully understand. And I do agree with you. I think the mountain proximity that these guys are in is not by accident. I think if the poop hits the fan, they have plans to take to the mountains. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah, because you'd be almost impossible to track. With these guys' abilities militarily, if you're in the mountains, particularly in the winter, finding them would be impossible. Absolutely impossible. Okay, Paul. Hey, well, thanks for joining us, buddy. Really appreciate it. Uh, timely information. We're getting a lot of thumbs up here from uh, the audience and uh, everybody else. Uh, thank you for joining. I'm going to ask you to please share this far and wide because we live in perilous times and uh, we'll see all of you back here next time. Paul, thanks for joining us, my friend. Thank you, Dave.